Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. Today, I am joined by the CMO of Logigate, Gina Hortatsos. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? How did I do on the last name, by the way? Was that like A+. Plus, that was a awesome. Plus? I was actually wondering if during the pre-call you were going to ask me how to pronounce it because it's been mispronounced a thousand different ways. Yeah, I played a little game called like, see if I can do it right. And then (laughs) I like my last name is hilarious. So I've kind of figured out last names. I was at the uh, I was going to potentially have to do jury duty this week. And they didn't even try. They were just like Garrett, Meg, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just hear it. (laughs) Well, my name is very common um, on the island of Crete. So if you ever go there, they never mispronounce our name when we go. I love that. Well, I need yep. to get to more islands. Um, <laughs> I usually just go to the islands with like a blue cheeseburger or something, and that's not the same. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really the same at all. Now, Logigate, um, I had some questions just around kind of thoughts, strategy, things yeah. you all are doing, and love to get feedback. You guys your number in the menu. Um, are people calling you? Uh, people are calling us. Yeah, we get a fair amount of inbound calls. You I know, um, buyers are in control. And when they're ready to talk, they want to talk as soon as humanly possible. So either chat bot or calls. Yeah, I find that so interesting because I saw you guys, you guys are running the chat bot and you guys have a lot of different playbooks going there. But I was so curious because a lot of people have kind of almost like moved away. Like they're not using prime real estate for phone numbers anymore. Do you kind of see that as a mistake or kind of like how, how do you I think. Or- I think that any way that you can remove friction from the buyer's journey, I mean, a phone number doesn't take up a much real estate anyway. So if they want to call, whatever medium they want to use to talk to us, we'll take. I love that. Now, I am a huge proponent of like decreasing psychological friction when essentially going from, hey, I have this need. I see which part of the need Logicate solves. Mm-hmm. But God, I hate demos, right? And that's kind of the yeah. hard part of the consumer. So how do you deal with that at like where you have the of product across so many industries, yeah. so many solutions, so yeah. many different pieces? How, how are you thinking about product-led growth and getting essentially people into your product sooner when you're not selling a singular solution? Right. Um we do the best job we can of listening. When we did our journey mapping exercise, yeah, uh, which we refresh uh, on a yearly basis, but if there's something new coming out, we'll refresh it um, maybe a, a mid-cycle. Okay. We think about, uh, we actually try to put our feet in the buyer's shoes and think about their information needs and their buying job at each step of the journey. Yeah. Um, we know what makes it easier for us, you know, the, the kind of yeah. traditional like disco call demo, ask for the deal yeah. is, you know, really not a thing anymore. Um, and so uh, both our sales teams and our marketing teams have uh, gone through a set of training and methodologies that was designed to probe for understanding what the buyer pains are, understanding what positive business outcomes are, and then mapping those journeys across all the members of the buying committee to what those buying jobs are and what their information needs are. And then we do the best we can both in marketing and sales interactions to provide 
the answers to their information needs at that step in the journey. And sometimes it is a demo early. I mean, we have a ton of content on our website to educate the prospect. We have a lot of videos which actually show the product kind of in action. And so, you know, I, I would actually say that customers, prospective customers or friends we haven't met yet is what I talk to my marketing team about. I'm like, they're not prospects, they're friends we haven't met yet. Um, what actually people do ask for demos pretty early because there have been so many interactions before they even raise their hand and want to talk to us. And they've been able to view video content. They've been able to kind of look at, you know, the other members of the competitive set to kind of understand what they're all about ahead of time. Um, and if they're not ready yet, you know, we, we're not going to slam a demo down your throat if that's really not what you want. And that doesn't um, satisfy your information needs at that time. I love that. Now, I want to go a little further on this stuff. I think there's something here and I want to hear from your perspective. Mm -hmm. The goal of the demo, right? If we're just thinking about it theoretically, the goal of the demo is helping is you're trying to show the customer that you can solve their individual problem with your technology, right? Mm -hmm. You can either save time, increase value. What there's got, there's some type of reason why you exist. And we're trying to convince that consumer of why we exist and the problem or pain we help them solve or the opportunity we help them grasp. Right. Yeah. Now the product led growth community. I, and I do think no matter what, within the next two years or so, everyone's going to have to figure out how to let someone play with their product because technology is becoming consumerized. If that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. we're all used to using it on our, at a B2C level that we're kind of like, give it to me, let me play with it, I'll decide if I want it or not. I think it's kind yep. of that, the truth of what the buyer in their heart of hearts is used to and wants. Yeah. What are some of the roadblocks for a business like LogicGate to be able to create a sample environment that allows a consumer to play with the product? And like, why do you think it's so hard? Because it's not just you, it's not like a logic, it's like a whole industry, like everyone who's in this B2B more enterprise, did like mm -hmm. out of space, no one's able to do this, but everybody's wanting to. So what do you yeah. think, what do you think you're going to have to do in these next two years to try to get there? Like, what do you think that takes for that change? Yeah, uh, we do offer um, kick the tire environments. Uh, we, we do it within the sales. It's not just anybody can just download a free trial, not currently, um, but customers, friends we haven't met yet or friends we haven't we have met but haven't written a check yet um <laughs> we do we do work with them if they need a sandbox environment to really understand how the how to actually work with the solution in their environment um so they can get hands-on keys and and get that experience um and uh you know, one of one of the reasons that our customers choose us, and if you look at our reviews on some of the review sites, they they talk about this is the fact that business people can actually build their own applications. They have to get some basic guidance and training on how to actually drag and drop and what the different objects are and how to link them together. But after that, they can build their own. Um, and for anyone who understands, which I don't, but for anyone who understands software engineering, it's incredibly difficult to provide a very intuitive drag and drop interface for a business user um, that doesn't require custom code or you know, an IT admin. The architecture on that back end is incredibly complex um, to make it easy on the front end. There, there just is you know, very little going, going around that. And so I think that 
Um, we are we are continuing to march down that road. I think we do want to get to a point where people can uh, have an app like and try to uh, try like experience a little bit earlier in the funnel. And we also do not want to uh, deviate from our platform first, buy one thing, build whatever you need to. The business people who own these processes can build whatever they need to build and customize exactly as they want because that's huge for our customers. And that makes it even harder because right? you're selling a platform, yeah. which is different than selling a so, like an individual solution. It's, a it's not a tool. It is a platform that can be used for um, any different process that you have to automate that helps you manage uh, risk and, and, and uh, compliance processes. So um, we, we definitely, you know, we are looking at it. We understand that, that the buyer experience typically includes, um, you know, especially for simple software and we're going to keep marching down that road. Yeah. I love that. Cause it's, it's not like a, I mean, we're managing millions and millions of dollars to spend publicly traded private SaaS companies. Nobody at the platform levels figured it out. And I am as an outside consultant, I guess, convinced that the first person in every industry that can will win. You know what I mean? Like the first person yes. that figures that out and can be like, oh, you want to test drive a car? Sure. Show up anytime and we'll let you test drive the car. And yes. then you get to decide after driving the car and had that magic moment where you're like, this is a little better than my current car. I think I want this car. And then you talk with the salesperson. It's kind of yes. funny to think about it, but like, that's how we buy everything else. And then somehow enterprise to mid-market platform SaaS is different and it's for real reasons. Yeah, it's very complex. What people, the, the business problems that people are trying to solve for are very, very complex, very nuanced. And if you screw it up, you could be in big trouble. You could be in violation of a law or what have you. And so, um, you know, the, the way we think about it is, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, context and reference is, is crucial. Um, and so I, I even think if we're ever to offer, when we are able to offer a try and buy experience that guided, like just explaining what's going on as you're doing it and providing that context and reference is absolutely crucial to helping customers map in their heads. Um, I remember- Well, it's like the dealership, right? When you go to the dealership, they don't let you drive the car by yourself. There's right. someone in there. They're like, here's where the button. I, I know it sounds crazy to think we should be more like dealerships, but like, it's kind of like ironic that it's like, that is what, like ideally, right? Someone comes to our website. We have the dealer person that meets them. We put yeah. them in the car. We walk them through the car with them and then they can go leave. They can do whatever they want. We get their information and now we're selling them after they've experienced the car, which is a hell of a I'm, lot easier. Yeah. You know, I'm going to date myself, but I remember, uh, Many, many, many years ago when we were, we implemented our first CRM, we bought Siebel at this company I worked at. Yeah, and <laughs> we, we before were literally managing pipeline and customer relationships on spreadsheets, like whatever, whatever version of Excel 2.0 or something was out back then. And everybody knew that buying a system like Siebel at the time, which was the cutting edge system. Uh, was going to be a game changer for our company. And we absolutely needed it. We had gotten to the point where like, we literally couldn't do it anymore. And even then, even with the necessary and powerful and transformational um, opportunities that inventing, like bringing a system like that would mean to our business and our abil ability to scale, um, it was still 
very difficult, even for those, I mean, we, we were a software company, we were buying another piece of software. It was so hard to map like, okay, how is my life going to be different in the day-to-day -day interaction and how I do my work and how I collaborate with others in this new system versus this old system. And it remains the same for everybody. I mean, every time we, every time we sell a piece of software, regardless of whether it's Logic 8 or, you know, I worked at SAP a decade ago, uh, the question is, um, how do you make sure that your context and reference, even these people are gonna go through change. And even if it's the most positive change in the world, they're still gonna be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And what is marketing and sales' job to help them not only understand you know, why you're better, why you're different, why your stuff is more complete and meets the requirements better, but helping them map in the sales cycle before they buy their reference and their context so they can like walk into that relationship, into that partnership with an yeah. understanding of how their work is going to change and a certain level of comfort with it. Like these people are going to be with us the whole time. They're going to help to guide us. And I think that you know, having, having that try and buy experience, like during the funnel, well, it can only help as long as you do it right. As long as you provide guidance, as long as you provide um, uh, some kind of frame of reference for them to start that mapping earlier on. I love that. Now it is sovereign sass. Are you ready, Jim? I am. My 11 year old told me to avoid the lemon, anything lemon. I'm about to do lemon. So I wish your 12 year old. Was and I, I will, I got to show you, this has been on my desk since you sent me the candy because my children have been like, <laughs> they're like scavengers. They're like oh, yeah. they're candy oh, on her desk. So like sour vultures. All right, you ready? Yeah, I got the Warhead Black Cherry. Oh, I just put mine in, it's terrible. Yeah, I want to warn you too, Gina. We're going to two, okay? The second one is worse. It's not even close, by the way. I'm drooling and my jaw hurts. Hi, get ready. You're doing something that we all do. Drool? I... <laughs> and... Oh. Oh, man. Yeah. Industry. I thought, I thought this would taste better. Really industry better. content. You have this industry's drop down. Mm-hmm. Does it work anymore? Like, honest to God. Like, everyone has one. Mm-hmm. Does anyone go to industry pages and buy? Like, honest question. Like, yeah. do you do you see it as relevant as it used to? Like, I, we all have them, ironically. Like, I've had them before for my own website. Almost mm -hmm. all our customers have them. It, you know, like, is it, does it work? I, I don't know. Like, I've struggled to make it work for my own stuff. I'm curious your perspective. So, again, it goes back to re removing the friction or preventing friction. So if people want to self-select that industry, then you have to give them a path to do that. Um, I don't think that it's the number one way people interact with our content. Yeah. Um, in the governance risk and compliance space, people's roles tend to lend themselves to certain use cases. So I think actually the best performance, if you can call it that, people like to navigate towards Use case, application. Yeah, mm -hmm. use case content is taking off and it's like replacing industry as like this like thing that's so what I was curious and to take. If it doesn't if it doesn't hurt to have industry on there and you do get do you do get some um you know interaction with that site, 
why not leave it? If people are, I mean, healthcare. Well, that's a fundamental difference, Gene. I want to I stop you there because there's a fundamental difference in what you're communicating. You're saying, because there's two parties going on right now in SAS, which is really interesting. You have this one group that says, we want to take this very customer-centric but controlled buying experience. And we are going to tell you why you need us. And what you're saying is, we're going to tell, create as many ways as possible to allow someone to self-identify with us and choose why they want to work with us instead of telling them, right? Because there are these two paths and you'll see it in SaaS where they're getting mm-hmm. rid of like, I'm telling you like, you're getting, they're like product pages are gone. So it's like, just like this one like kind of thing. They're like trying to control them. And I don't love it, but I do like it when it's a tool, but it doesn't really, you see what I'm saying? Like, cause you have these like different yeah. funnels, like a tool. They're like, this is why you need our tool. But it's a platform. A lot of times it's like, here's everything you could do. Mm-hmm. Is there a middle ground in that? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, because two yeah, very there has ways. to be a middle ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to control the variables in your control? Sure, but the buyers are completely in charge, and that's it's been that way for years. Yeah. Um, and so, is your job to tell them what you think you want them to know to make it more likely that your stuff gets the better attention? I don't know. I would argue that your job is to provide an experience that is relevant, interesting, and useful, regardless of who they are and where they come from and what they care about. So if it's a financial services, so if I'm a global bank, I get probably 200 alerts a week of new regulations or changes to regulations that I have that I as a global bank have to sit through to figure out if I need to comply if there's anything different about my risk management that I have to comply with. So if I'm a if I'm a global bank and I'm a risk manager in a global bank, I might actually go and visit that financial services page to see if we have a solution that can help them with that. Um, removing friction from the buyer's process meeting them where they are with the information needs they have and understanding their buying jobs at that phase is marketing's work. Yeah. See, and I like that because it's like a realistic way of thinking about personalization. I think what people are trying to do is they're trying to consolidate the experience and then try to make it as relevant to each individual, whether it's like asynchronous IP lookup. So that the page is dynamic mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. But if we're being really transparent, like, that level of trying to control and personalize isn't relevant with the technology we have today. And so there's this like thing, because my only issue with your approach and it's not that yours is wrong or anything. It's just very hard to get compelling messaging and positioning. Right. Mm -hmm. You know know what I'm saying? It's like very hard to get someone what I call is apathy to action. Mm -hmm. Really hard to be pick your own adventure and then make sure every adventure is compelling. You're right. Because it it's very, such a yeah. bin with the content. Like the problem with yeah. industry pages is how do you industry pages that aren't just crappy and instead have like relevant case studies, testimonials, content? Because yeah. now you have to have 30 times more content. You have to have, you see what I'm saying? So like when you do yeah. the two on adventure, you also have to essentially like increase all your bandwidth. And it's it's not that one way is better or not. It's just like how do you think about getting the messaging and positioning right on choose your own adventure? Yeah. On Choose Your Own Adventure, you have to really study and prioritize the root cause of why why the pain is. 
And even though on our website, you see many different applications and many different use cases in many different industries, but the root causes is that people who manage, whose job it is to manage risk in their companies have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They need to run programs and have systems that supercharge and enable those programs so that they can make sure that they understand what their risk is at any given time and be able to prioritize the actions to mitigate it. That's actually like, regardless of whether it's incident management or third-party risk or strategic risk, like what if there's an earthquake where my data center is? What do I have to do to control that? Business continuity, everything through COVID. Yeah. The, the, the root pain is I got to have programs and plans to deal with any kind of risk I have. Mm-hmm. And if, and I need a system to actually supercharge that because I can't, I, it, without a system, you can't have everything in one place. You can't see everything. And there's huge risk in that. And so that red thread yeah. throughout um, is as long as that red thread runs throughout, you can flavor that thread by the different applications, by the different industries, by the different use cases. So really hone it like, and it takes a lot of conversation with your, with your buyers. It takes a lot of content, right? You have to have enough bandwidth to create the content so that, because like if you make a financial services page, it's not actually good enough to compel Mm -hmm. someone who like clicked on it. It Mm -hmm. won't work, right? So we have to like get enough assets, enough content, enough information that when they do choose their adventure, the adventures is awesome. I think that's Mm -hmm. why people are not like, I think that's why people are consolidating their user information architecture and their flows because they don't have enough content. If that makes sense. Well, and I think it's also, you know, data can be used for good and data can be used for evil. And I think we have so much data these days. And if you see that one page is not performing, it can go on the hack list because it's like one less thing to maintain. Exactly. And it's like, they go on their really and they're like, let's do a, let's do a gut check and make sure that your root cause of your problem isn't that people aren't interested, it's that you've got bad stuff on there. Um, let's ask your buyers, let's ask the market. It's very, the, the way of intaking customer and, and not even non-customer, but archetypical buyer feedback, there are a vast amount of ways to do that. I, love that um, I like to always make the joke of like, did you actually read it? I know it sounds terrible, but as marketers, is like we put all this content on our websites that a lot of times we've never even read and we read it. We're like, oh shoot, I'm not more likely to buy us after reading this than I was before. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I go read my competitor stuff. I'm like, oh, I'd probably hire them. And if you can stay that honest, that's when the change comes because you're like, yeah, yeah I need to like, and so I always ask people, like how many people here would actually buy, like have actually read their content and think it's good. And it's always jokes. Like everybody starts laughing because a lot of us just put it up, but it's not with our heart or our soul. It's not a creative, like artistic, like proud thing. It's like a tactical thing. And the problem is like, that doesn't work. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like content because we're supposed to do content fails so bad. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard. It's hard. I'm a big believer in the uh, big rock content yeah. and assembly and packaging yeah. versus fixed asset thinking with content where fixed asset thinking is like you create this thing that's like this sculpture and you use it in one cadence and then it goes in a drawer. Um, I think a lot of businesses still struggle with that. Oh yeah. Um, and it doesn't scale. And so, but the, 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 
the really important success factor in a big rock atomization model is make sure that you're it's the right rock and the, <laughs> that actually reflects what the, the buyer cares about yeah. what the buyer cares about because uh, if you if you miss the big one then you're pretty much screwed for the rest of the content that you produce off of that big rock. A thousand percent. And I'll have one last question, but before, are you ready? Wait, so I still have the other one in my mouth. What am I supposed to do? Like, should I spit it out and then like open the next one? I guess that's one Because it actually not. tastes good now. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the problem. It gets the good. Yeah, yeah. At the end, you get the sugar, right? And it's like, oh, this is not bad. Yeah. Um. Hold on. Let me, hold on. Okay. <laughs> Love it. That's a pro move. So this is a watermelon. Okay. And I'm also not looking forward to this one. But all my repeat listeners, I'm allergic to melon, so I have to sift through all the candy. Oh, which one did I just do? Oh my god. It's like my my eye is watering ever so slightly. That Pricing. tastes terrible. It's so bad. Pricing. Mm-hmm. You did the, I'm not going to give you a price, but I'm going to give you how we price, which I thought was actually really clever. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the things that drive our pricing. Mm-hmm. Just as I think demo product environments and ways to experience products, whether it's trials, fake data, Whatever that is. Pricing. And by the way, all the stuff I don't do either, right? Consulting, someone comes to you and says, I want to do this. I don't be like, oh, here's a sample proposal, right? I have to build a custom yeah. strategy. I also run pricing on my website. And if I did, it would probably look like yours, right? Here's kind of how we price, but mm-hmm. not pricing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that forever. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be able to do that forever. What does the future of pricing look like in your mind? for this B2B SaaS platform, not just a simple tool. Like, are we all going to have to go to seat-based? Are we all going to have to go to usage-based? Is it all going to have to be transparent? Like, what does tomorrow look like for pricing and kind of how are you trying to future-proof the way you're leveraging pricing? Because in my opinion, right, if I got LogiGate and you're two top competitors, Mm -hmm. right, and then the chief risk officer, I don't know the titles in your space yet, but Mm -hmm. the chief risk officer says to their by the way, chief risk officers don't look for anything, right? They go to their director of risk and says, hey, can you get me three quotes? Mm-hmm. They go on your Gartner report. They get you, a couple other players. Yeah. My opinion is people who get them into the product the fastest and have the most transparent pricing are most likely to win that deal a mm-hmm. lot of the time. So we talked about product. What does pricing look like and how do we get there um, in these environments? Yeah. Um, future pricing, again, will need to be reflective of removing friction from the customer journey. And the reason that we chose to talk about our approach to pricing on our website was because we wanted to be very upfront about the packaging and the value that, so, so we solve a very old set of problems in a very new way. It's not a new category. This had, I mean, I marketed GRC when I was at SAP in 2012. Like this stuff has been around for a long time. And as such, there are a lot of different ways to go about buying a system uh, to tackle those problems. And so the packaging and pricing strategy that we 
disclose on our website is reflective of what we believe based on how our customers have historically bought, based on what we know about the way that, you know, kind of pricing in SaaS has been going, um, is what we believe is the best value for our customers. When you are doing a packaging strategy, I mean, you can't talk about pricing without packaging. And it's that analogy of um, McDonald's tried to test a, a Happy Meal with a salad instead of fries, and they actually charged less for it, and it flopped. Why? Because kids like their burger, fries, and a Coke. They just that's what that's the package. You have your main thing, and then you have your fillers, and you can actually charge a premium for that whole package. But as soon as you throw in something that they don't want, your premium goes away. Even if you and so so our philosophy is provide a package that represents the the value for what we provide specifically to solve their problem. And do I, I mean, is everyone going to have to go seat-based pricing? I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think that the future of technology is so flexible and it will be so rooted in the buyer needs and the buyer information needs. I mean, look, no. these are millennial buyers now. Are you going to be able to it, keep it behind the wall though? I guess is it like, can you keep it? Like what you're doing, because you're at least doing something, which you're, you're yeah. at least have a pricing page. Like, I can't tell you how many people don't even have that. So you're like, you're doing that first step. Is Do you, like, how long before the second step is where you're having to lead with it? Because all the DevOps products are doing it, right? If you try to buy mm -hmm. a New Relic or a Sumo Logic, or mm -hmm. like, you know, like everyone's going there, whether it's usage or seats. Not everybody. That's not everybody. That's true. That not everybody is, but do you think they can if their competitors do? Like, do you think you cannot lead with pricing if the market changes? I think we'll look at it carefully. We actually um, have a very, for a company our size, we have a very disciplined and research-based motion around pricing. And wow. we talk, we have a, we have a quarterly sync. We, we have a, a yearly, like real intentional effort around making sure that we are continuing to package properly and price properly. Yeah, and so, I my my answer to your question is not sure yet, but yeah. we'll be ready if if that is the pivot that we need to make to provide the value that our buyers expect and provide the transparency that our buyers expect. Yeah, it's so hard. I get come on out. It is. Hard. It's like because the hardest part is being the first mover because mm -hmm. you have to because it's not that the current way is broken, right? So you have to be literally willing to fall on your face. But I feel like the person who can move first in the platform space around product and in the platform space around pricing, mm -hmm. everyone is going to have to try to catch up. Yeah. I feel like there's a true first mover advantage there. And I'm always, that's why I want to ask this question because it's something that it keeps staying in my mind because I'm thinking about acquisition, right? Like the reason this is so important is get your paid media campaigns, right? They're all based yep. on auctions. And so uh -huh. what happens every time a net new competitor moves in this space, it increases your CPC by a greater percentage than you can raise your price, creating diminishing marginal returns on your gross yep. margin. And so theoretically, what we need to be able to do as marketers is figure out leverage on activation. In other mm -hmm. words, not leverage on acquisition, but leverage on activation. Yeah. And so to me, the most leverage we can get is not through you know, A-B tests and clicks, studies and messaging, but instead through product and pricing differentiation. In other words, like material differences yeah. to our product and the others. But 
it's so hard to get there, if that makes sense. It's so It is hard, hard to get there and it varies by industry. Exactly. So if we start hearing that pricing differentiation is a needle mover beyond the usual like discounts and like, yeah, you know, yeah, my yeah. budget is this, make it however, then we will, if we start, we are doing, you got to listen. You got to listen to your buyers. And you gotta listen without ego because you know I, I've I've definitely been in some environments where it was like, you know, if if I'd asked them what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Oh, the Henry Ford yeah. quote, <laughs> you know better. I'm like ah, at our peril, at our yeah. peril, we ignore. If we're gonna put ourselves, if we're gonna make the investments to listen, we have to be ready to stare in the face any realities that you know might not necessarily match with what we'd rather do. Um, it's hard. Pricing and packaging is very hard. It's an art and a science. And I do agree with you, though, that the more innovative and first mover advantage you can get, but only in the service of what the buy, what removes friction from that buyer journey. I love it. Gina, this has been amazing. Awesome conversation. I love that you and I got to actually get in the weeds of this, which is hopefully sure. a very different interview than you ever have done before. So this was yeah, really it was fun. fun. But um, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. That is Sour and Sass. Sour and Bye, Sass. Everybody. Ha <laughs>